0: Hey everyone, this is Don from Mayleaf. Welcome to another episode of Tea Lifted Conversations. This podcast series is all about harnessing the true power of tea to open minds, engender great conversation, dissolve tribalism and present some ideas which hopefully engage, inspire and entertain. And today I'm actually going to be flying solo because I want to talk about my ideas regarding the value of value. This actually comes from a speech which I gave at Chinese New Year 2020 at the May Leaf Tea House. Every Chinese New Year we open the doors of the tea house. We invite anybody and everybody to share tea, share food, and share discussions, and I always present a speech. So the contents of what we're going to be talking about today was first given as a speech in January 2020. Before we get stuck in, some people have been asking how they can support this podcast. We're not going to be taking any sponsors for this podcast, and truthfully the best way for you to support this podcast is to ignite your passion in tea, if you have not done so already. Go check out the Mayleaf YouTube channel. There's so much information in there, lots of education to inspire you in your tea journey. And Then of course go to the mayleaf.com website and pick up some Pinnacle Teas. Every year we taste hundreds and hundreds of teas, and we select our absolute favorite teas of the season. We curate our absolute best teas, so I can assure you that there are some immaculate teas on that website, and of course teaware as well. And of course share this podcast and share the Mayleaf tea journey with your friends. That's all that you need to do to support this podcast. Right. Let's get stuck in. And I want to say from the outset that these are some philosophical ideas, which I have been considering over the past few years. They are by no means original. In fact, similar ideas have been proposed by many cultures throughout history. And they are also by no means fixed either. They are a work in progress, a discussion rather than an endpoint. So please receive them with an open and inquisitive mind. And if I tread a little on your ethical or philosophical identity, then please know that I do so not to offend or compete, but to illuminate a wider discussion. You see, the reason why I think that it is necessary to challenge basic assumptions is because we live at a fascinating crossroads in human history. It is, no doubt, an egoic construction for every person to think that they live In times of seismic shifts, we will only ever know the importance of our own lifetime through the broader view of history. However, I sense, like many others, that we are, as a species and as a planet, in a very unique place. We are living at the end of the post industrial revolution, and old social, economic, or political systems do not seem to be working or fit with our predictions for the future. It seems that Many people are asking, what comes next? What does society look like for future generations? We hear about the information age, but most of us don't really understand what that means for our future. Have we reached the apogee or zenith of human civilization? And is the future a decline? And what about the health of our planet? Can we protect our only home? We seem to be scrambling to find positions and answers, but we are using traditional systems to dig in our positions. Ones that belonged to the industrial and post-industrial era, right versus left, capitalist versus socialist, local versus global are becoming irrelevant, sinking ships with more and more people occupying more extreme positions in order to seesaw them back afloat. And an obsession With identity politics in order to find sides and blame each other for this deep sense of humanity sliding into an abyss. All of this is creating more conflict, which just makes human decline feel even more credible and sets society in a blind panic to occupy even more extreme positions. So I propose that let's stop, let's breathe. Let's try to avoid the left-right arguments and instead rise higher to survey the scene with clarity. I know that there are many out there searching for a new way, a different system for our post-post-industrial society, but I fear that they are based on flawed foundational assumptions. So I think that it is time to reset our ideas and find the foundational and unarguable solid ground from which we can build a thriving society and a healthy planet in whatever the next age is called. Today I want to challenge the value of value. So what is the definition of value? Well the definition of value has two limbs. The first is functional, the regard that something is held to deserve, the importance, worth or usefulness of something. The second is moral, principles or standard of behaviour, one's judgment of what is important in life. You can interchange the concept of value with the concept of good. On the one hand, the concept of goodness relates to the function or usefulness or worth of something. And on the other hand, there is the principle of absolute goodness. So one definition is functional and the other is moral. So let's deal with the first functional limb of the definition first – value being the subject's worth. Well, in order to be able to judge the value of anything in this way, you first need to know its function. A knife which is sharp is a valuable knife because its function is to cut objects. But what is the function of a home? What is the function of a business? What is the function of a society? Once we lose a consensus on the function of things, then it is impossible to assess real value. But let's simplify things and look at our standard marker of value, money. What is the value of money? Well, the function of money is to exchange goods through trust. It is a form of faith. The paper itself or the digital screenshot of your bank balance have no intrinsic value, but you believe that you can use this bit of paper to get things, and as long as enough people believe in that piece of paper's ability to exchange things, then the money has value. The moment that we doubt its ability, the money loses value, and if we stop believing, the paper becomes worthless. Money is a story which we use as a tool to structure and order a working society. Some would say that this is much like a religion, although unlike most religions, money is accepted by everyone, everywhere. The stock market works in the same way to assess the value of a company. A company or brand is an entity which in itself does not actually exist, but is a figment of our collective imagination. You could take away the premises and all the staff from my own business, Mayleaf, but this does not stop the brand from existing. It is a creation, a fiction. If we were to float on the stock exchange, then our value would ultimately be dependent upon how many people think that we are valuable. People don't buy or sell stocks because of the actual ability of a company to achieve its function, whatever that may be. They buy or sell on the basis of whether or not Other people will buy or sell. Credit is the next step, creating present value from our imagination of what will happen to the value of something in our collective imaginations of the future. The credit crunch financial crash is a stark demonstration of how far we are willing to stray from reality in our unending desire to create more value in the present by constructing an overly optimistic fiction of our future imagination. Capitalism has created value from imagination. None of this is new. Critics and supporters of capitalism all recognise the role of the collective imagination to create value. For some, it is an evil fiction whose script is controlled by the few at the expense of the masses. And to others, capitalism provides a way of testing function and driving innovation. Ultimately, supporters believe that if a company or a commodity achieves its function, then the imagined value will be close enough to the real thing. But is there such a thing as real value? Something unarguable and absolute? For that, we have to all agree on a primary function. Is the function of a company to gain profit, to employ and provide a wage for staff, to contribute to society, to innovate new ideas? Without agreed functions, it is impossible to define value. Even that sharp knife will have more or less value depending on opinion. To a left-handed person who wants to cut bread, that right-handed straight-edged knife is not nearly as valuable as it is to a right-handed person who wants to chop onions. Therefore, value as a concept is a collective or personal opinion, and sometimes a complete fiction, but it is never absolute. The problem with all of this is that value can therefore be manipulated, controlled and corrupted so that it ceases to relate even remotely to function. While walking in Hong Kong one day, I saw a young man suddenly stop in the street and raise his hands in prayer beneath a bowed and reverential face. When I turned to look for the object of his attentions, I was met by the gleaming shopfront of Tiffany's. The man was worshipping the brand, the rarefied atmosphere inhaled by those individuals who could afford such scarcity. I imagined taking a two million pound Tiffany diamond ring and placing it in his hands. What value would it have? How would it enhance his life? I pictured him taking it home and keeping it very safe, no doubt removing the stone every now and again, to show only his most trusted friends, or to witness its pretty glint in the light. I then imagined if a whole continent of diamonds was discovered somewhere suddenly under the sea, and overnight the price of diamonds plummeted because everyone could have one. His £2 million ring was now only worth, let's say, £200. Would its identically pretty glint hold as much reverence for the man? Would it be just as valuable to him? I think not, which means that the value of the ring was not the beauty of the ring itself, but simply its price. It was valued for its value. This is what I call a value feedback loop, which replaces the primary function of something with value itself, x equals x. The old function of the ring used to be a thing of beauty, to appreciate and wear for its aesthetic enjoyment, but this has been replaced by a new function of the ring, to be a thing of value. The more valuable we perceive it to be, therefore, the more it achieves its new function, and therefore the more valuable it becomes. A perpetual motion towards spiralling infinite value, which is incredibly fragile, because as soon as we question its value, Then its value decreases, and the motion descends into a destructive feedback loop, which decimates its value. The ability of the ring to achieve its original function never changed, and therefore its value should not vary much. But if we get fooled into replacing the function of the ring from thing of beauty to being thing of value, then we are at the mercy of feedback loops. So how does this apply to self-value? We live in an identity age where everyone seems to be trying to define themselves, their purpose, their tribe, their function, and ultimately, their value. It seems that every day we are told that we should value ourselves, that having a sense of self-worth is an important step to leading a fulfilled life. Is this true? Is self-value immune from the manipulations and fictions of commodity value? In my view, self-value is not only just as fictitious but much more destructive than the value of things. Because while the value of things is a necessary, if inaccurate, tool for maintaining the dynamics of society through trade, exchange and innovation, the value of the self seems to me to be entirely worthless and the root of most suffering. I would go further to say that the fiction of the value of things only becomes dangerous to society when affected by a sense of self-value. Self-value is an unnecessary construct of the ego, which is promoted by almost all walks of modern society, from capitalists to socialists, from well-meaning liberal self-help posts to cynical corporate marketing. A deep sense of self-value is the supposed goal for many of us. But what does this actually mean in practice? Just like the value of things, your value should be dependent on your primary function. So what is your primary function as a human being? The clue is in the title. Being. The primary function of all life is to be. And perhaps evolutionists would say to further create being through procreation, to be alive and, if possible, bring more life. But just like the value of things, we have corrupted the concept of value by changing our functions almost daily and multiplying them unhealthily. Instead of being value, we have created a fictional form of value which we call self-value. The self is a construct made up of a huge and ever-growing number of functional attributes – nationality, intellect, profession, sexuality, wealth, religion, beauty, humour, personality, interests, politics – the list is endless. And just like the value of things, all of these functions are manipulated throughout our lives by marketeers, socio-economic structures, social media, oftentimes in order to control us like puppets. They get all tangled up to create a very messy and confused self that we try to work out in our heads and present to the world for valuation. Are you liberal enough, ethical enough, clever enough, funny enough, rich enough, powerful enough? To different groups of people, you will have different value, and it is purely based on their positions and their opinions and their insecurities and their instinctive desire. To be better than you. And if you think that you alone can assess your own value, then I think you are wrong. This is even more of a fiction. Because just like money or commodity, the value of these external attributes are based on comparison and collective opinion. By allowing external attributes to define your value, you have essentially floated yourself on the stock exchange. No matter how much you try. Your feeling of self-value will be dependent on continuous and exhausting comparison and competition. Self-value will always be relative to others, as well as your mood. And let's face it, we all tend to be our own worst judges anyway. So even if you believe the fiction that you can set your own self-value, then you are more likely to beat yourself up. Why do you think those self-help memes are so popular? They try to remind you to stop being so hard on yourself. So by striving for the goal of self-value, we are forever chasing more value. And since our value is only measured in relation to others, we are always in competition. And just like the value of things, self-value becomes a figment of collective imaginations. Some people will be undervalued and others will be given overinflated value depending on their surroundings. And the ego will seek surroundings where their value is perceived to be higher. And we start to become entrenched in tribal echo boxes, which removes us from balanced discourse and pushes us to extremism and diatribe. Ultimately, the chasing of self-value, just like the value of things becomes sucked into a feedback loop. Eventually, just like that ring, we end up feeling that our self-value is dependent on our self-value or our goodness is defined by how good we are at being good. We lose all definition of the actual functions that we are choosing to fulfill. We lose all semblance of control and we are lost bobbing at sea, simply reacting to waves of non-stop information thrown at us, which we use to judge our untethered sense of self-worth. This makes us susceptible to overblown highs and heartbreaking lows. Why do you think that societies which celebrate and glorify the self have the highest occurrences of depression, anxiety, addiction, and suicide? Put simply, Striving to achieve higher self-value is like being on a treadmill. You will always be working but never arrive. And the treadmill will have a tendency to continuously speed up until you collapse. So my advice is that if you really want to value yourself, then you must relinquish all ideas of self-value. Your primary purpose is being And therefore, you have achieved your purpose and attained full value from the moment of your birth. Nothing that you do in your life changes your value. Think of life as an ocean and each of us as an individual wave rising from the surface to express life itself before returning to the source. Some waves will be big and powerful. Others will be mere ripples. But does it make sense to say that one wave is more valuable than another? Some of you may be thinking this all sounds very boring. A world devoid of the self is filled with beings with no opinions or passions. But that's not the case at all. When you stop fixating on the self but instead celebrate being... You can still have all of the positions, opinions, and passions, but they remain external. Your being is irreducible. Your value is irreducible. And some of you might be worried that if we relinquish the concept of self-value, then aren't we encouraging laziness, apathy, a lack of ambition, and perhaps even a condoning of evil acts? Well, let's deal with the idea of moral good and evil later first let's look at ambition and apathy one of the keys to a successful and happy life is non-reliance eastern religions talk about happiness coming from a relinquishing of desires which i would reframe to a relinquishing of needs every single negative emotion is linked to a need Think about it, find a negative emotion and you will find at least one need that causes it. In order to free yourself from that emotion, you first have to address the need and recognize it as a fiction. The problem with self-value is that we create and are manipulated into creating unending needs in order for us to feel worthy. I need to be rich, I need to be fit, I need to be loved, I need to be valued. The only way to solve this is to remove the underlying need to feel good about yourself. There is a big difference between want and need. We actually need very few things in our life. Food, water, warmth, air, shelter, clothing. Everything else is a want and not a need. But the problem with self-value is that it creates the idea that you need other things in order to feel good about yourself. Indeed, on some websites, the list of fundamental needs have been modernised to include function, purpose, esteem and identity. I think that this is a mistake. The problem with creating artificial needs is that this shackles us with either a fear of failure or a fear of choice. We become so scared of doing the wrong thing, making the wrong choices or not reaching our expectation because success is is tied directly to our sense of self-worth. Eventually, it can all become too much and we hit a state of inertia brought about by the fear of not proving your self-value, which in my experience is the biggest cause of laziness or lack of ambition. If success or failure did not really matter because it did not affect your sense of value, then you would feel free to make dynamic, creative choices, have confidence in your actions, learn from inevitable failures and keep going. Relinquishing self-value turns life into a game. It motivates us to keep going, try new things and be more concerned with the doing rather than the outcome. If we stop celebrating the self, then this does not mean that we become sleeping drones with a, a loss of individuality. By relinquishing the fixation of the self, we can allow the individual being to flourish and societies to evolve. We free ourselves to express the best of our abilities, encourage insight, innovation, and artistry, and maintain healthy competition, which is not about fearful, needy comparison, which leads to a desire for domination, conflict, and violence, but is about pushing each other to achieve loftier goals, all without the fear that any failure would somehow demote our value. I have recently become a father, and I want so badly to be a good father, but I have to remind myself of the difference between wanting to be a good father for my daughter's benefit versus the need to be a good father in order to feel good about myself and to inflate a fictional self value. One is based on true function, the other is based on ego. Inevitably, Focusing on function will mean that I will turn out to be a more successful father rather than succumbing to the feedback loop of needing it for more self-worth. It is the same in romantic relationships. How many relationships are unnecessarily destroyed by the neediness of one or both partners? When the focus of attention stops being about simply building a strong relationship and becomes consumed with an emotional need to stay together in order to satisfy self-worth, then the relationship is in trouble. Neediness is self-sabotaging and crosses all parts of your life. It cannot be isolated to one area because the negative emotions that come from needing, let's say, to be successful at work, Will start to pollute and degrade your personal relationships. Therefore, the only solution to a happier life is to reject the need for self-value altogether. One of the key traits that I have noticed in successful people is a non-reliance on outcome. Of course, you want your venture to be a success, your relationships to work, or your art to flourish, but you don't need it to feel worthy. On the contrary, I've seen many talented people inflicted with a sense of perfectionism and crippling needs to prove their worth that they end up self-sabotaging themselves and failing to meet their goals. So relinquishing self-value will inject more ambition and energy into society and actually reduce laziness and apathy. And for all those people whose skills do not naturally mesh with professional ambition but instead is more tied in with their home or personal activities, the casting aside of self-value means that they do not need to feel any sort of fictitious inadequacy or comparative judgments. How many people do jobs that they dislike simply because they think that it boosts their perceived value? Thus, the workforce in a society with no self-value will be self-selecting. By taking away the concept of proving your worth, we would all have the freedom to use our natural skills. Innovators would innovate, creatives would create, producers would produce, and artists would create art. Of course, I am not saying that we should stop applying critical self-evaluation to ourselves and others. We can continue to assess our actions and that of others and make judgments of their performance. But just like looking at our performance playing a video game, we can be critical of ourselves and others in order to improve, but ultimately we must realize that it is just a game and does not fundamentally matter. So let's talk about moral values. To be good can either mean achieving function, as we've discussed already, or it can mean following an absolute principle of goodness. By relinquishing the concept of self-value, aren't we throwing out the concept of moral goodness? Will this not bring about more evils? In exactly the same way as with ambition and laziness, I actually think that a lot of the acts perpetuated by humans, which would, by broad consensus, be classified as evil, are caused the fiction of self-value they are acts of the ego which are justified by a warped sense of function and a reliance on proving self-worth a ceo of a company may think that the function upon which his or her self-value is measured is to make maximum profit and therefore to be a good and valuable ceo he or she may excuse selling life-threatening products because Self value is the goal. If a father sees providing material gifts to his child as the function of a good father, then he may excuse stealing because ultimately his sense of fatherly value or goodness trumps the morality of stealing. If power is your measure of self worth, then what would you do to protect your sense of self value through the domination? or even the violence against others. Self-value creates acts detrimental to human civilization. And is there an absolute definition of moral goodness? Is the idea of good versus evil a fiction in itself? For some traditional theistic religions, good is defined by divine law and absolute morality. Does this exist? Or do we use the storytelling nature of religion to try to define our consensus of good versus evil. Perhaps evolved empathy is the way that we structure ideas of moral goodness, treating others how you would like to be treated, putting yourself in another person's position. Empathy creates the concept of good or bad and is a naturally evolved trait that has brought humanity to great heights. It seems possible that empathy came first to define the rules, which then became structured as divine law. This may or may not be the case, but either way, morals shift according to our empathy. To a vegan, the killing of an animal triggers an empathetic revulsion, which to others, the same act may not. Goodness is not necessarily absolute. Empathy is a natural evolutionary trait and recent studies have shown that 90% of a person's empathy is learned rather than genetic. So the environment is key to contributing to moral goodness. And just as there are some people who may be born lazier than others, there may be some people born with more of a likelihood to break consensus and act in evil ways. But just like laziness or apathy, a society that does not accept self-value will be a much more positive environment for these lower empathy people to find a positive contribution to society because the need for self-worth is, in my opinion, what aggravates negative emotions and justifies unsavoury behaviour. None of this is a denial of God either. Whether you believe in a man-in-the-sky God or a oneness-of-consciousness kind of God, the primary function of God is as creator of everything. So, is God good? Well, just like things or humans, we can judge value or goodness by the achieving of function. And since the function of God is to create existence, then simply by the fact that there is existence, simply by the fact that we are all here, God has proven himself to be good. The argument of whether God is morally good is an altogether different one. This is one of the arguments that atheists have against religion. God can't exist otherwise there would not be natural evils like illnesses and tsunamis. And that seems totally bizarre to me. The existence of suffering does not disprove the existence or value of God. Instead, that argument is not about the existence of God, but about the personality of God. Is he morally good, and if not, then why should we show devotion to him? And all of that assumes that there is such a thing as an absolute moral goodness, and that God cares either way about your devotion. Arguing about the personality of God may be as absurd as arguing about the personality of planet Earth. So, the pitfalls of both functional and moral values apply to the value of things, the value of people, and even the value of the Creator. Values outside of the primary function are figments of imagination, which cause inner and outer conflicts. So what does this mean for a future society? In the end, the collapsing systems of socioeconomics do not necessarily need to be changed or overhauled with some brand spanking new system, which incidentally, even the greatest minds have been unable to find despite decades of searching. Instead, I believe that it is just the foundation stones which have to be reset in order to bring stability to the system. In my view, the key foundation stone To be reset is the concept of value. We should recognize that every human being has the same absolute and irreducible value, being. We achieve our functions simply through our existence. Let's call it being value. Being value is our full value and all further judgments of self-value are fiction. Many of the problems in society and our planet Comes from the collective belief in the concept of self value and our need to enhance or prove our worth. I think that self value is an egoic fiction measured by our collective imaginations. It allows us to be manipulated and controlled. It glorifies competition, power, and domination. It may justify acts which go against our natural sense of empathy. It breeds sadness, anxiety, and apathy, and it reduces innovation, creativity, freedom, and dynamism. Is it possible to relinquish the necessity for self-value? Can we accept the fiction of self-value and the overriding truth of being value? Yeah, I think so. In fact, I think the sad thing is that for many of us, we don't appreciate the absoluteness of being value, until our being is about to cease. It only takes a sorry turn of personal events to occur for the elaborately constructed world of fabricated value to fall away and reveal that our true value was freely there all of the time, concealed by the set design of the marketeers, society, and our own ego. Is your life more valuable when you are diagnosed as ill? No, it is just as valuable. Would we not live in a better world if true value was liberated from the sordid fictions of our egoic imaginations? So I would like to ask you all to consider a different society, a society which celebrates the being rather than the self. In this society, all decisions would be made with the right overriding intentions so that any resulting system of economics and politics can function successfully for all life and our planet in general. It is not the system which needs fixing, but the intention and motivation behind the system, which is fractured, confused, and uncertain. And it starts with you and your influence on those around you. I would recommend that you try to need less Operate in a state of non-reliance. It will bring you much more happiness and help you to achieve your goals. Relinquish this fictional sense of self-value. Practice and teach others empathy. Have fun playing the game that we are all in and recognize that all that is valuable you already have bask in the light of your own existence that is all you need that is all you have and that is all that matters i hope that these ideas have given you some food for thought and that you might want to share them with others whether or not you agree or disagree with them i want to thank you so much for listening and i'll see you at the next podcast